G'day everyone, you're listening to the Bearded Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Swenson. Today is episode number four, and we have a really interesting guest today. His name is Shane Koval. He is a very successful businessman who started from nothing on the streets and has grown a very successful custom motorcycle business called Smoked Garage. His story is super interesting and actually some he dropped some real raw bombs um, which I, I hope a lot of you um, get appreciate the story he tells because it's actually incredible. Please welcome my guest, Mr. Shane Koval. Shane, Shane Koval from Smoke Garage. Welcome Correct. to the Bearded Chat. Thank you. Mate, I, uh, you and I, how long have we known each other now? It's got to be five years, doesn't it? Yeah. I really? Know. I don't think it's that long. Oh, be close. Um, probably, probably 18, 17. Wow, it's gone fast. Yeah. So, and uh, I, I met you originally because I was looking for a custom motorcycle I for the bearded chap to um, give away to our customers. Correct, you did, yeah. So, uh, I've done a bit of research on you as well because you're a very successful Brisbane businessman slash entrepreneur as well, yeah. who is global with your businesses as well, if I can but say you that. you found fuck all, didn't you? What? You found fuck all. No, I, I found a little bit. Yeah, so, I right. wanted to start at the beginning though, because you yeah. went, you went, you grew up in Brizzy. Yeah, I'm a uh, Brizzy boy. Yeah. And you grew up in, uh, went to school at Wynnum. Yep. What was Wynnum State School though? <laughs> Wynnum High. Yeah, Wynnum High. Wynnum High. Well, uh, mate, Wynnum, Wynnum was rough. Wynnum, Wynnum was really rough back in the day. Yeah. You know, um, you know, we had a English teacher that we used to thought that someone cut her ears off because she actually what? Because <laughs> she used to wear a hair across the back of her ears. So straight away, we used to all think Mrs. Davies had no ears because her husband was such a prick. Oh my god! Off. And look, you know, if you weren't getting in fights in the back schoolyard after three fifteen, and everyone's rushing down to say hello and see how you used to scrap on. But look, you know, we all, t you know. We all talk about old school days and stuff, but were you a good student? I was a fucking shit of a kid. <laughs> what you just didn't like it because I like oh, look, oh, I, and we can go way back to ground roots and family and all that sort of stuff. But I've just found that um, you know when your parents break up at an early age and drugs are involved, and you know my old man has always been, and I respect him and love him to the day he dies. But you know he's a major pisshead, loved to gamble. You know he used to come home. And not have a a dollar in his wallet because he'd hit the tab on a Friday afternoon, and my old lady would go, "What the fuck's going on here?" And he used to go, "He'd be blind," and just say, "Hey, you know, that's that's how it fucking Done. rolls." And he's still he's he's still old he's still old now, and he's still you know doing the same routes he's ever done. Love him to death, yeah, you know. And you see that side of it for a long period of time, and you know, I ended up going to Wynnum High, and, and I was probably the one of, because I've got two brothers, you know. I Where do you fit in? In the middle. In the middle. So I was always the one uh, stirring the shit. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, um, yeah, it was, it's fun old days. You know, my two brothers get along really well with me, and um, basically they both own and run the old business I left. Okay. So funny enough. So. So, and at, at that age, were you still, uh, like, Hustling on the side, doing a bit of, getting a bit of money, or you, did you get a job? No. <laughs> no, so, funny, I was studying at, uh, at a local college, and I was studying interior design, I did commercial art drawing design, and it was more like, when I was studying that, it was more like, well, well what, what else can you do? 
apart from the study side of things, and yeah. you end up hustling. Yeah, you know, if you went down the basketball court, dealing a bit of dope, or yep. you know, uh, being a bit of a prick of a kid, or getting into a fight, or something like that. So, <laughs> um, and look, I had ground roots back in that day where you know it it wouldn't be um, a problem for me to get in a car and do something quite stupid, and then. Uh, and anyone talks about being ballers and shit, and I'm not here to say what I did and didn't do, but <laughs> I tell you, back in the day, you used to, you know, if if we didn't rock up somewhere and roll someone or, or, or be a bit of a prick of a kid. Yeah. Uh, and not not a lot of people see that side of me because I've left that, you know, I've had to change a fuckload of who I was. Yeah. Like, um, I had um, an attempted murder charge <laughs> dropped... Uh, what? When I was 18. So what? And had nothing to do with me. And anyone who wants to go and look into this story, Holy you could probably have a look at it. Um, and if you want to... That's insane. What happened? What was? Why did you get accused mate, of it? we used to play cricket in a backyard next to my mate's house. Yeah. And uh, the old bloke next door to me, he um, he's a mean old prick. And every time we'd hit the cricket ball over his back fence, he'd... Um, He'd steal it. <laughs> so we hated this motherfucker. So I said to my brother at the time, I said, well, let's, let's, let's fucking get over there and get him, you know. Well, he's stolen property. Stolen property, you know. And he said, you know, fuckers, you know. Anyway, so we'd, we'd jump the fence and lo and behold, he's left his rollies and his, and his, and his little whiskey on the back deck. And I said, well. I'm going to fucking take those. So I took them and... How old were you that? Oh, I was probably seven, 16, yeah, 17. Yeah. Just, just, just under the age, yeah. you know, just under the, the legal age to get in too much trouble. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we <laughs> smoked all his rollies and drank all his piss and threw them back over the fence <laughs> to let him know, no, fuck with us, you know. Anyway, so, but then what had actually happened, this tussle was going on for a long period of time. And um, me and my brother at that stage... And a couple of his mates uh, did a couple of stupid things and we took it a little bit further by actually jumping over the fence because we knew he would be gone at that stage and then actually entering into his house. And we entered into his home and my brother at that stage actually found a suitcase that was filled with beef cube containers. Mm. Uh, Like the little cube... Uh, beef yeah, stock stocks. Stock yeah, yeah, and then a little al- aluminium anyway, so he, he actually grabbed a couple of those and, and brought them back uh, home and he unraveled them and there was about $2,500 in in each of them. He grabbed about five of them. And it was just, it must have been his life savings, this old man. Wow. And at that stage, we were just thinking, well, this is fun. We've got a lot of cash. <laughs> what are we going to do? We're going to go in the city and we're going to spend it and we're going to buy piss and we're going to buy... You know, anyway. Yeah. So, and this is something to be learned based in life that those whispers that happen that quickly got around within 36 hours and the old man's house was entered. He was bashed within an inch of his life. He was chained to a chair. He went to hospital and... Uh, so someone came in and did that to him because we talked the fact on what we did. So then the whispers got around very oh. quickly that there was a fuckload of money in this man's house. Wow! And uh, to this day, 
uh, I do know who who ended ended up you know, going Doing into it. his home, but it um, had nothing to do with us. But the biggest problem is we'd been in there three or four times before. So you had fingerprints and fingerprints. stuff everywhere. I took mouldings in my shoes. They raided me at my mate's house at one o'clock in the morning at, at Hammett. Hi, Pennell. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, uh, yeah, and we were arrested and taken away. And oh took a God. long time to actually get over that because... What did you think in that moment? Well, I knew I was guilty of what I did, but I wasn't guilty of what actually happened. But you can imagine sitting in... Um, and funny enough, I'll never forget the detective's name. His name was actually Mahoney. I know you probably think Police Academy Mahoney. That was his name. Wow. And he was uh, Wynnum Cle- uh, CIB at the time. And he basically said, you're fucking gone, mate. You're gone. You're fucked. And, and the only way that I got off the charge I did was actually go to the hospital and actually see the guy. Because my, my bail was not to have any inter- interaction with the, yeah. with the victim. And I took a major risk because if I break my bail, I was gone. Yeah. Anyway, so um, I went up and I said, look, I'm, and the coppers sort of knew I wasn't it because the old guy took a bit of a beating, but he actually fought back. Yeah. He actually really gave him a hard time. Yeah. And, um, you know, they tested him. Like, you hear this sort of shit, but this is exactly how this fucking shit went down. And they tested fingers and DNA. And back in that day, they did take DNA samples, but I got a full record based on that. I'm actually committing the crime that I didn't commit, but actually being there prior to what had happened. Wow. Um, and my bail was not going to see him, and I went and see him. I said, look, I'm going away for 10, mate. You know, Because they bashed him, he put him into a coma. They actually um, chained him up. So it's defam- deprivation of liberty, I think, the, the charge. Anyway, so yeah. long story short, I, I basically went and seen him, and he said, no, you're not here. I said, can you just tell the fucking coppers, mate? Because <laughs> yeah. I'm fucked here. And he, he said, oh, that fucking kid that came in, that's, that's not him. And I and, and oh. two days later, I was I was sitting in the Wyndham Watch House, and and they just said, "Yep, you can go." But it was that sort of sort of scene where you roll into the cop shop, and you've got all the cameramen and all that, you know, press. Yeah. And I had to cover me. He said, "Cover your head if you don't want them to know who the fuck you are." And that's what the copper said. And and look, that's that's where right then and there, I changed. Not for always the better, but I did change a lot of what I used to get up to when I was Just took that different path. I had to because... Holy shit. got to a point you have that little break in your life where you sort of say to yourself, well, I could I could be a better human. You know, I could do better things. Uh, I can actually knock around with a shitload better people. I can get off the gear that I'm on. Yep. And it's funny, you know, so we ride trains and, and just, just be absolute... Grubs like we were back in the day, you know. There's not, there's not much to say, but we were shits, you know. You know, because it's it, you, the person who I met and the person I know. Like I didn't even know that much about you, but uh, yeah. in regards to that background, but holy shit, you are like outstanding, ethical business Cheers, person. And I've Basically. learned that from having good people around me. Mm. Like you hear those hard knock stories and all that sort of stuff, but I never thought that I was going to live over the age of twenty five. That was actually what I thought as well. Yeah. Because of the crazy shit I used to do. <laughs> I but that, that's the truth. Like, um, I remember my, my current wife, she actually said to me, why did you ever not think that you'd live over the age of 25? And I said, well, we used to get up some stupid shit, you know, some real stupid shit. You know, if we were jacking cars and just being, just being dickheads. Yeah. You know, and, and it'll come down to no guidance, you know, so not yeah. having that role model in your life for, for that period of time. Yep. And um, education as well. And, and if you say to anyone, education's a great thing, it's an amazing thing. But if you don't have it early on and you don't have the guidance, 
what else do you do? Yeah. You know? and, and and there's always that one scenario you can, it's like that sliding doors moment sort of thing. And everyone talks about it. There's, there's a bit of scepticism behind it, but it can happen. And at that moment when I, and I remember um, having, not that a fucking epiphany, but I remember the fact that I went, holy fuck, I better change the way I am. And look, then I, you know, fucked off a lot of the people that I was hanging around with. Yeah. You know, I was a cat and I was a dog and all the all the old words that you used to, you know, because you wouldn't come out and fucking yeah. smash and do whatever you needed to do at that period of time. But I was young and I was pretty stupid at that time. Um, but then I started getting into, um, like, cars and bikes and it sort of put me on a different path. It's like... So did you study, did you go and do mechanics after that or? No, I did, um, it was funny and, and and when I was six I used to make um, cars out of rubbers, like I'm talking full scale, <laughs> like not scale but miniature little cars out of. <laughs> Condor rubbers? No, 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 it's in pencil rubbers. Pencil rubbers, oh, That's okay. all, so, you know, yeah, and yeah, I used yeah. to make these little cars and I used to get, um, and this is like, you think like where you used to start your, your little uh, where, where you think you might end up, or if you're good at something. I used to be really good at this, and then I got into drawing and sculpture and design and started that. And I used to just use that craft. So I used to draw during the class time, sell them for lunch and get lunch money, and then hustle that money. Like that's I was, awesome. And, but that's when I was just you know I think I was probably eight or ten, and you know, and then I got into skateboarding. And yep. you know, you find a different path there, and you meet a dump. A bunch of different people and stuff. So, yeah. Look, there's so many different guidances or which way you turn. But that, you know, the art side of things sort of. And then I did a lot of graph when I was. So a kid all as this well. happened to you, and then you went to you um, studied design and art. Yeah, so like a certificate three in art and design. Yeah. And then from there, which is a nice cover to say you were doing fuck all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, professional, not a professional student, but and and yeah, that, that's where I was. Yeah. So then you went from there. What did you do at that point? So I was living with a mate and I was uh, going to college during the day and then uh, we were drinking one night and one of my mate's mates came over and said, hey, you know, um, he lays carpet at night time at all the hospitals. Maybe you can just go and fucking lay a bit of carpet. And I thought, oh, yeah, well, at least they'll get me doing something. So, yeah, for I think three and a half years while I was going to school, I was laying carpet at night time. And my first job was at the uh, Waco Correctional Centre. <laughs> so it's like another flashpoint for you. <laughs> what life could have been. For, um, oh, my God. For the mentally insane. And we used to lay commercial vinyl and commercial carpet. And um, anyway, <laughs> I still remember the day <laughs> where we're laying carpet in the middle of the night and this woman comes screaming down the hallway, you know, and we got blokes, you know, they... What goes on in there is just ridiculous, and you know it's hard with mental health these days. But, yeah, um, you know we're talking. What am I now? Forty-five. So we're talking twenty-three years ago, and these blokes because we were there from pretty much dusk till dawn because that was a quiet period of time to lay all the vinyl in the hospital. Yeah, and they had a contract. No, I was just I was just a um, uh, bit of a shit kicker, you know, like picking up vinyl yeah. and come on, Johnny, get over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know. You know the, fucking knock about but then <laughs> i actually picked it up really well so he used to then send me out on own jobs but the only reason he hired me because he was a chronic alcoholic right so the whole idea he knew i had a driver's license so he thought drive around drive around but then i started actually doing a bit of work 
but I remember the first day working for him, and he said, you'd be at my fucking house at six o'clock. Yeah, no worries, mate. <laughs> so I pulled up, and it's bin day. And I've actually pulled up, and I'm waiting there, and waiting, and <laughs> the fucking Garbo's turned up, and he's got the headphones from the side of the seat, just chucked them on his fucking head. I won't mention this guy's name, but he actually knew that every time he pulled up at this motherfucker's house, the bin was full of stubbies. And it was going to make a fuckload of noise when it got in there. <laughs> so he used to, and I used to watch this guy. True story. Anyway, so I won't get in the car. There was that much glass in there. He's a pissy. Mad bulldog supporter. Just an absolute fucking <laughs> of the man. But funny as fuck. Yeah. Right? Anyway, so he'd, um, he'd bloody uh, come out. He goes, you know, we'd finish the day. We'd, we'd start at six. He'd work. I mean, he would fucking work this guy. And he'd, um, he'd basically, you know, we'd finish at three. You're not working past fucking three o'clock because that's fucking beer o'clock. Yeah. Anyway, so he used to say to me, we'll, we'll get a box on the way home. You're driving, of course. Um, by the time we got home, there were six left. <laughs> right? So he, Holy shit. Yeah, he was a fucking maniac. Anyway. Oh, my. What was he drinking? That's almost impressive. Yeah. yeah <laughs> he, I'm and and I'm talking <laughs> a, a two, you know, I mean, an hour dry. He was smashing these things. But he was 36 when he died in front of me. I'll tell you what happened. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, um, he, 36 years of age, he's chronic alcoholic. But what used to happen all the time, we used to have to actually replace the carpet that we were laying because he used to bleed from the nose all the time. So, heavy smoker. Oh, heavy, my God. Heavy drinker. So, when you, and carpet lands are a, a real fucking hard job. Yeah. You're sweating bullets. You're in a hot house with no air conditioning. Yeah. You're on your hands and knees all fucking day, and you know you got you get water on the knee. So when you get water on the knee, it's um comes pretty chronic because you. They say if you work with your head down above the rest of your body, it's actually your blood's rushing to your head all the time. Yeah. And then when you're standing up, you know if you lie down for too long, you get up quick, you're gonna get dizzy. Well, yep. We used to have to do that every fucking day. So they say average carpet layers last five years, and then they're fucked because <laughs> their knees are fucked and they're getting head spins and and anyway, so um. We used to have to replace his carpet all the time from the bloke I was working with because um, he'd bleed from the nose. I was like, you're bleeding, mate. You're, you're bleeding. And he'd go, oh, fuck. So, you know, we'd ring, oh, we've, you know, we've cut this run. We used to blame the fucking salesman. Let's fucking cut it short again, get some more carpet out there. <laughs> Poor salesman to get charged for it, and we'd just pull it up and put it in. Anyway, and, mate, the rorts started starting there. Like, I mean, like I learnt from some of the best uh, rorters from from that particular industry, and if anyone knows this industry, and they're sitting there and they're like, listening, what type of rorts in the carpet industry? Yeah, fuck, mate, you have no idea. So you used to have the underlay with the carpet, and if you ran out of carpet or ran out of underlay, you just make the call, and you just order more, and they charge back to the to the salesman that was selling the stuff. So week two, we would probably have forty rolls on underlay at eighty bucks a roll. So it was good money, you know, and you'd on sell it back to another carpet shop that you would for half the amount. But then what would used to happen is that carpet shop would normally get in trouble because they had to be buying fucking underlay from the supplier because they're getting it from the carpet layer. So all the carpet layers out there are fucking pig rotten cunts. <laughs> and they know it. You know, and they're looking at me giving away fucking secrets. But it is what it fucking is, mate. You know? is. And these are the sort of shit you'd learn. And, um, you know, and I've got kids... Now that work for me, yeah, and I just fucking love it when they say to me, oh, "I'm just not feeling too well," or "I'm, 
well, I can't, you know, I've worked eight hours this week. And, you oh. know, so they, and, and as much as I love uh, the crew that I've got working for me and they respect me as much as I respect them. But, yeah, with, with the rorts that used to start back in the day and you learn from these tricks, yeah, you know, or these, um, these ways of life to get around. And I learned that from a pretty, pretty earlier age, you know, from the bullshit broken home and all that crap, yeah. you know, we can go down there, but, yeah. um, and then, uh, yeah, he had a brain aneurysm, I think they call it. Yep. And aneurysm, yeah. at 36 years of age and dead as a doornail. In front of you? Yeah. So. Jesus. That was fucking hard. That's a hard day at work. <laughs> and uh, he, um, may he rest in peace, lovely bloke, but no, it just. We well, thrashed his body, it sounds like. Yeah, well, drinking constantly, which is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drink, but, um, you know having that much put on your body that early. And look, do they put it down to the piss? No. Do they put it down to the copious amount everything. of smoke? Everything. It's lifestyle. Well, we've all got a choice, mate. Yeah. You know, he, it was a lifestyle choice for him. But, you know, if his wife really knew the amount of alcohol he used to consume every day after work, instead of just walking in and saying, oh, Shane bought a fucking six-pack. We're just going to have a couple and watch the game. <laughs> and I'd go, oh, fucking here we go. <laughs> you know, and I'd have to drive his fucking ute home. And pick the fucker up in the morning and be on time. Mate, he was fucking bright, early, bushy-tailed, fucking bang, we're working. He might have had 40. I don't know. It's ridiculous. I've met, when I was 17, uh, I met an alcoholic. And he, he's like, straight up about it, he was like, I'm an alcoholic. And I was like... Functioning alcoholic. Wow. How much do you drink tonight? Two bottles of vodka. I'm like, how the fuck do you hop up the next morning? It's just like, four, uh, four litres of water. Just drank four litres of water before I went to bed. You guys wake up every single morning. Good That'll as well. fuck you after five years. I'm like, that. oh my lord, it, yeah. that's a tough life to have. And he was, he looked <laughs> like he had a life. He's probably yeah. only 38, but he <laughs> <laughs> he looked like he was 80. He was rough looking as well. And look, um, we all have our dark demons. Oh yeah, you know. But um, I learned back when I was working what not to do. Well, alcohol is probably a good thing to consume on a monitored fucking consumption amount, but the average. Australian will drink like who's a you know the blue collar or had will drink six a night. Yeah, you know, you know. What is the average consumption of booze in Australia? I think we're one of the highest in the world. We are the second highest. I think Germany. Germany is the biggest. Yeah, is and that's good because I own another run a pub. So at the moment, (laughs) I actually benefit from the fact of people drinking. We're launching other distilleries. (laughs) (laughs) And look, um, but. It's taken a long time to get it to that journey. Yeah. Know? And like I always say, you know, you get good support and good people. Yeah. So you learn all these crazy lessons from um, from that. Yeah. Then you d- – did you go into sales then? Yeah. For for the carpet industry? Yeah. Because this is where that, – uh, that's all I heard about from you telling me in that because yeah. that's – and that was your first part of the sales game. Yeah. So it was funny. So learning from the laying side of things and then um, – I grabbed an opportunity when a warehouseman from the company that we used to get our product from because they were the ones that um, used to quote the work and ring us up as subcontractors to go and lay the work. So it was a supply and fit from this company. And then I was in there one day and I said, oh, where the fuck's a warehouseman? I haven't seen him in 10 minutes. He goes, oh, he's he's injured himself. And I said, oh, what's happened? He said, oh... 100 kilo roll, roll of vinyl, commercial vinyl. It's 1.8 meter, 50 meter roll. It's probably 400 kilos has fallen on him and he's in a bad way. 
And I just said, well, who's taking that motherfucker's job? <laughs> <laughs> and I and I got the job the next day and I told Cole, you know, uh, sorry, not Cole at that Position stage. is vacant, sir. Yeah, yeah and, um, and uh, I knew nothing about that side of things. So it wasn't a hard job. I think it was more the fact is um, picking the right product and don't cut the fucking wrong product on the wrong job because if you're laying, you know, five or ten grand's worth of carpet and you've picked the wrong roll off the thing and you've cut it and given the boys, the boys don't check the colour installed. It's up to you to make sure that everything matches. And there was a couple of incidents, you know, early on where I fucked up and, and I, I got given the opportunity but I, I still remember that I took a photo copy of my very first check for 375 bucks and I was Amazing. just proud as fucking punch yeah. because the guy I used to work for was just cash, you know, might yep. get 50 in and you know, 100 here or whatever. And then anyway, so, um, yeah, I started my career <laughs> um, just doing that and, and it, it eventuated just into doing a little bit of, um, uh, what do we call it these days, be on the phones or no? I was more quoting most of the work, so okay. the estimation of all the work. Yep. Uh, and I just started up like there was a couple of brothers that used to run this, and I actually got along really well. We used to go on the piss and mm. do that, and and I actually said to him, "Oh, can I have an opportunity maybe to branch up a little bit here?" And oh, fuck, I can come in here, you know. And I said, oh, "Okay," and they just gave me one little job, and I fucking bolted out and I measured it up, brought it back, and it was perfect. And I sort of started doing their little shit shit fit jobs for him and then they gave me an opportunity well here's a plan measure this up and you know I measured the, you know, and then got the roll going and, and then you know supplied and fitted it and did the whole thing so they went from you know doing a single bedroom house to multi-million dollar um, hospital jobs and wow. stuff like that so they were a big corporation at that time and they had me running the, the warehouse at the time so how old were you then I would have been 24 23 yeah 24. cool and then from there um, I don't know, I must have fucked up and got the sackles. <laughs> and um, I applied for a sales position just at a um, floor coverings place. Yeah. Um, and this place that I work for taught me a lot about direct selling. I mean, like, you are not leaving that fucking home until you get that sale. So that's old school. I mean, like, it was serious old, old school. school. Throwing phones through doors, old school. Holy shit. Yeah. So we used to have, like, a salesman an area manager, a sales manager, a state manager, and a national manager. And everyone used to report straight up the line. So, you know, you'd have a target for the week or you'd yep. have a target for the, for the day. So were there, lead, were there yeah, leads you, generated from marketing? Yeah, And then absolutely. you just go smash those leads? Or were you just like <laughs> rolling the, into doors, knocking on doors? No, no, school. it was no cold canvassing. So obviously the amount of advertising that this company used to do would bring... And they are one of the leaders in the industry when it comes to, you know, laying floor coverings in Australia. And it was funny because you get a lead and you'd, you'd still have to qualify the lead because they'd say, oh, come out and give us a quote, yeah. you know. And you'd basically go, oh, yeah, well, what are you looking at? Oh, I'm looking at doing this, this and this. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, what time's going to be convenient? I'd just come out at, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon. I'll go, oh, okay, you know, is it convenient? Is there anyone else that probably needs to have a look at the product with this, you know, like family, friends? Maybe your fucking husband who can make a decision, you know. <laughs> if you would never say that, of course. In a polite yeah. way, you go, yeah. fuck, I'm not... Who's got I, the money? I am not coming out there unless both parties are there. Yeah. And I learned a tactic, and and this might... Not, not a disrespectful thing, but I, I would be in there until I would get a decision. And if it was 
And it was nothing ever threatening. It was nothing ever to the point where people would say, but I got kicked out of homes probably 40 times over, 50 times over. So, but it was because of our area managers and our store managers that used to reach target. Now, there was always a bonus based on how many targets you would reach and it was always based on gross profit. Yes. So you would always get a percentage of what money you would make. So in some cases, if you go out and saw a $5,000 gig and there was a $1,000 in it, it's 100 bucks to you. Mm. And if you're doing so many a day... By so many was it just comms only as well? Yeah. 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 Real sales. Real sales. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I learned, and I was averaging at 23, I think I was making 150 grand a year at 23 yeah. based on a very small retainer but a fuckload of commission. This is... Sales people are the highest paid professions or professionals in the entire yeah. world. Like yeah. people just forget about that. It's almost like a scum word, and it was because of. And mate, I'm talking it like it, back in like the day. it fucking was because yeah. I, I was a fucking shit human at that stage in my life, mm. selling fucking carpet. Have you ever seen the Matchstick Men? No. Watch no. that fucking movie. Uh, there's another um, a movie. It sounds exactly like what you were doing called White Gold. Very similar. I've seen that. White show. Gold. <laughs> it is an absolute... It's <laughs> a series, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a series. And it's absolutely brilliant because it's like this old school mentality, like just fucking bash on doors. And, yeah. and that's like that whole... When I watch... Dodgy salesman. Don't trust a salesperson. And, and like, mate, I was the, mate and, I, and I can sit here and say, you know, at that stage of my life, my name was Shonky Shay. <laughs> That was my nickname at the carpet place because I used to pull every pig rod I fucking could to make a commission check. And it was bad. It was bad business. Um, but it wasn't only me doing it. This it was just the industry. It was the industry. And these were the reason that this industry was the way it was because it was fucking led by the snake's head. Yeah. And the snake's head was as rotten as you've ever fucking seen anything in your life. And um, He's still around, actually, that guy, because I, I know someone and someone who says, I said, is that motherfucker still around? He goes, yeah, yeah, he's still around. Um, and I'll tell you a very quick story. When I first up turned up for my very first day at the carpet shop, and the the, <laughs> the store manager at the time says, um, right, well, what you've got to do is you've got to walk around and you've got to write down every fucking drape of carpet in the shop. And I'll go... Well, what do you mean? He goes, you need to know the product. And once you've written all the fucking product down, come over and so we'll do a little test. And that was my first initiation to the, yeah. to the carpet industry. And I thought, oh, I can fucking do this. So you'd flip over the first lot of carpet and you'd actually, it'll have the make, the model, very similar to a car or a bike or anything, make, model, content, weight, you know, so you'd, you'd have your five contents that you'd written down. Anyway, um, it's a pretty intense industry. It's a fucking people, people just like, yeah, carpet. It was, in, it was intimidation, mate. Fucking, and if you, and dead set, there were some timid people in that sales industry that got eaten up yeah, by the mumbles. Rolled. Yeah. rolled. Because if a lead come through, Just I was the first one to go, I'm fucking taking that lead. And I'd look over. And, I'm, and no one else was taking that lead apart from me. And I'm talking like... It's you scary though. Mate. And a lot of people think sales is scary because they're like, oh, I don't want to talk to someone. But you had all that... Uh, I, I, I was still um, very green... But I learnt from the peers that obviously taught me on how to actually make the sale. But because I was a bit of a fucking prick, I wasn't afraid to go, well, are we doing business? You Correct, know, where yeah. um, if someone ever says to anyone about um, asking a leading question, most people feel intimidated by saying, 
anything that might upset someone. But yeah. back then, it wasn't hard to ask for an order because you had someone on the other end of the phone and say, you fucking ask for that order and you ask it the way I'm asking you to ask it. You need to say word for word when I get off the phone Scripted and you just say it scripted. Do you, remember that, do you remember that script? Yeah. <laughs> what was it? Um, yeah, well, it, in, in some lines it would go... Um, well, I've come all the way out here tonight to get your business. I've given you a fantastic price. Um, what it, what's stopping you? What's stopping you from making a decision? We want to think about it. What's there to think about? It was just pretty full on. Yeah, what's there to think about? Oh, we're getting other quotes. Oh, okay. You're getting other quotes. Do you like the carpet? Love the carpet. Do you like me? Yeah, we like you. No one's going to buy off anyone that they fucking hate. I learned that pretty in my first 10 leads. If you were too pushy early on or... Too cocky, or it's one of the things I learned of Jordan Belford because I, I was very lucky to spend a week with him before he got blew up. And, yeah, yeah, and he like I learned a lot about him, not what to do in the bad ethics sell, as well. Se- selling the pencil or selling exactly, the but the whole thing was they have to love you and yep. like you. They have to love the product, yeah, and that they love the company. So I definitely went in there with that attitude. I'm just going to stomp this out, but I learned very quickly that you have to become a likable person to actually create someone's trust. You want to do business with friends. Mate, people buy fucking people. Correct. And if they don't like you, they won't buy it, no matter how good your product or your price is. If you're an absolute fuckwit, you're not getting the sale. Absolutely. And I learned that very quickly. So I had to change the whole tactic, even though... How long did that take you when you realised that? Uh, over probably six to 12 months constantly because I used to get frustrated if I couldn't get the sale. And it wasn't because of the product. It wasn't because of the price. It was mainly because of the attitude I probably took in there early. So I had to change the whole concept, refocus, reset, but still use the same sales track that I learned that was drummed into me from a fairly early age. And that's all I knew. That's all I knew is this sales track. And, um, you know, nationally, I was um, making fantastic money. Yeah. And I was, and every time we used to go in our weekly sales meeting, and I'd stomp in there with my cuffs on, you know, your, your shirt cuffs yep, and my yep. fucking ninety dollar tie back in the day, um, you know, and my fucking shirt, and you know, walk in and fuckers knew I was in the room, and it was it, but that's the way I only fucking knew. I didn't know any way else on how to actually, because you know, like. Um, I'm not highly educated in, you know, tertiary and further and further. I did courses and stuff. And I did a course with that particular company um, called Creati- uh, Creating Quality Results. Okay. And this particular course was actually to pull you so far out of your fucking comfort zone. But I actually loved it. I loved the fact that I was pulled out of the comfort zone, could actually do a bit more. And you see the people in... In the crew that, you know, I remember back in the day, there was a, a big crew from Brian Burt Ford and, and our crew and, you know, the other company, major companies, like good branded companies. And they were fucking crying, like literally crying about what this guy was putting them through. What did, like, what was, what um, was happening? Um, more the fact, like... Um, um, the scenarios or... Yeah, scenarios. They were um, crying from, like, role-playing <coughs> scenarios. Yeah, role-play scenarios is in putting them in positions... Um, where it was more intimidating and they were getting frustrated and... Um, See, I fucking love that as well. Yeah, that was uh, my... Like, I used to love role-playing in regards to... Because it, <coughs> it's training. This is one thing that a lot of people don't do anymore. Yeah. It's literally training to put you in a real situation, not just watching a video, 
not just writing stuff down. And look, you're absolutely right. Interpersonal skill, yeah. when there's something awkward and yeah. you've got to sort it out and yeah. looking someone in the eye yeah. and actually working through it yeah. in a positive way for the results. And it was funny, I learned, I learned from that because um, that's all I knew. That's what I was taught. And when we used to go to these seminars and, and, and these um, meetings, it was more about, not the intimidation to the new crew, it was like any... Um, you know, the new apprentices are coming in. And I actually used to like grabbing the new guy and taking him out on a lead. And... Um, Big alpha move right Oh, there. my <laughs> fucking God. And they go, how the fuck did you sell that? And I'm talking going into someone's house and selling a $50,000 package and getting a deposit and driving out. You know, we used to smoke ciggies back in the day. And, and, and like, like, and you'd... Oh, where's that scenario where... Um, there was a movie where you know he gets on the phone, um, and it was Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, Wolf. Yeah, Wolf Street, and yeah. He goes, That's a script <laughs> I learnt. Yeah, how, how the fuck? <laughs> but I used to. Oh, hold on, Mike's cut out. Give it a go. Tell you. There we go. Yeah. Um, I used to be in those scenarios where that, and my wife fucking hates that movie. It's a bit of a pig movie, but it's basically the sales industry in a fucking nutshell. That was exactly yeah. what it was from eighties to mid two thousands. <laughs> yeah. And um, when I see that clip on that movie, I always fucking say, oh, fuck, I was in that position. <laughs> and it's so true. And people can sit there and go, you shit talking cunt. But yeah. I tell you, I was in those scenarios every night. And there's people that could probably, you know, um, confirm that in a, yeah. in a bigger basis because it used to happen on a nightly basis. So I, I actually love that. But back then and in in the wolf of wall street it was like that boiler room like yeah. high pressure sales Massive to get across high the line sales. and when i learned from jordan and then all the stuff that i did after that and even going through my earlier um, sales career and like the fitness industry and stuff uh, and telco it was all about qualifying the fuck out of someone and i would still be pushy what would be classed as pushy but after i qualified them to make sure I, they had the money that it was actually they were the right fit for them if I truly believed that me selling them this product would benefit their life, like I knew that they would come back and be like, you know what, I'm fucking glad I did it. Yeah. I just didn't want to get them a comfort zone. I would keep going. And then if it all, as I, if I educated them and did all the right things and I didn't want to like completely push them over the line, because sales is a very powerful thing. Absolutely. When you get to influence someone to make a decision with what they do with their money, yeah. In a positive way, it can be dangerous, and it that's where dangerous. that's why the people and I was who are extremely unethical. fucking good at it. Yeah. when I was in my prime and number one in the state, number one in the country, you know, pushing, you know, big figures, not the same sort of figures you hear about like Wall Street and all that yeah. sort of shit. We're yeah. just talking, you know, it's going into money. someone's house, mid twenties, yeah, but going into someone's house and actually creating rapport was the biggest thing you had to do. If you could create a rapport with someone very early on, then you're fifty percent there. How and did you do that? Um, what were the taxi- tactics? Or so um, I would always find a common ground, you know, a picture on a wall, mm. a car in the yard, you know, you know, a car at the front. Oh, you yeah, you're drive a Commodore. Oh, yeah. I've got a Commodore. Suddenly I've got a fucking Commodore. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a fucking Commodore. I've, never <laughs> one oh, I've got one. Oh, you know, oh, you like cars. Or you'd find a common ground um, on colours. There'd be so many common grounds that you could find and every scenario is different. Mm. You know, you could... You could, because the the male, the alpha male, will always put up a bit of a barrier because you're in his home and you're selling his family a product. So I always try to 
And I, I know the word target's probably not the right, but I would always target to try and get a great rapport with that person. Because if in the first, this, the meet and greet process in any sales and anyone has taught you any different way, if they do not fucking like you, they aren't buying you. If you walk in here, I'm here first to give you a quote, what the fuck you want? One one hundredth of a second <laughs> for uh, visual, yep. person to person. One yep. one hundredth of a second. They yep. are, you've already been yep. pot holed. Pigeon, oh. pigeonholed. Yeah. On the I phone. Mean, you're in you the have direct selling industry. You're yeah. in their house and they've called you out to do a quote. They're getting 175 quotes and you're never getting this lead or you're never getting the sale. You know, fifth, an hour and 15 later, I've got their money in their pocket and I'm actually sold them the, procket, the product and they're actually probably inside where I'm outside going, holy fuck, what the fuck just happened there? We just bought $25,000 worth of flooring. <laughs> do we fucking need it? <laughs> well, we do now. costs that much money as now, well. Well, if you're talking about <laughs> You know, timber throughout the whole yeah, house, true. and you're talking about five, six bedrooms of carpet. And most houses these days are, are quite like my brother still is in the game now and's probably learnt a lot off me on how we used to do it. But he has told me now the industry has changed so much. Well, I think selling in general has changed a lot because it's massive change. How, you, you got, uh, we'll get into your, your current business in a moment, but mm. like talking about motorbikes and going through a sale process there, yeah, like I've seen you do it, but like, do you want to explain? all those lessons that you learned, not what to do and yeah. evolved over time into what you do now because it's more of a consulting. And I find now I get to choose the client that wants to build a bike. Like I would have today six or seven leads. Um, we've got 48 weeks of work currently in the shop. Wow. So I cannot build a motor. And I had the <coughs> conversation with Vince today. He just said, don't give me any fucking motorbike show on. I can't do it, you know. And I said to him, I said, um, but we constantly have people, um, and this generation in my industry don't want to wait, have the money, and are able to say, well, how long is it going to take? And when I tell them that I can't do anything for a year, but they don't like the process, but well, they the make truth it, well, They want it more. <coughs> <laughs> Shit. Um, you booked out, what? Yeah, and I have learned now um, that can't lie about it no you cannot be false about anything i i am the most straightest shooter now from where i was to where i've become to where i am now on um i i basically just say this is the price this is what you're getting but a lot of the people that are coming in from a greener aspect of actually the motorcycling industry um they are restricted for nearly two years and three months when they get a learner approved bike mm. So I've actually captured a bit of a market there because no one else is is entertaining that sort of lambs market. It's quite so. When I got my lo- motorcycle license, you would have your small boy license for I think a month or two, and then you just jump on a thousand seats, jump so. on a thousand, and, and <laughs> you were there. But now they have to hold that restricted license for two years and three months. So by accident, not by accident, but you know, we started our first one, and we actually thought, well. We can make this look this pig's ear look silk purseish pretty pretty quickly over a three week period, <coughs> and I think now that our product that we produce is a a point of difference. Mm. Like we're not the average motorcycle shop that does choppers and you know the standard product that you probably see on um, on the television and all that. We do do unique things, and I think now um, people who are restricted. First, advertising is a fucking... But it comes down to, um, you know, position, business sense, and I've learned a lot based on um, where where you 
can position yourself in the industry. Like there's many in our industry, there's many industry, many fractures you can actually you know put yourself in, and we put ourselves more in the land market or the smaller lands bikes because um, they are restricted now and they have to hold a motorcycle license for two years. And so it's a big market, and it's a bigger market because. Um, the Harley-Davidson Street 500 is, I think now, uh, Australia's number one selling motorcycle. Wow. And it's a restricted motorcycle. I think Ninja 300 and, and Royal, en- Royal Enfield uh, built one million units last year. One million. They just reached out to us again. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. yeah right. um, so, yeah, look, we found a little niche market, but, you know, that's where I am now. and We're in a position... Um, so it's more consulting when a customer comes to you now, whereas before you like go to lead, you got to go out and smash. It's yeah. it's almost hunting. Now you are yeah. you have a selected niche in the market, and people coming to you, yeah. and so that sales process is. I moved. don't have to sell it anymore. No, and you're almost I, walking I through know. what the customer needs and, and consulting and, and, with what they buy. And and now it's not like from where I learned as a younger salesperson that we used to go and have to really smash the shit out of it and and direct selling and have an opportunity then to um to sell it but now it's or it's already pre-sold yeah like they just walk in and go i fucking love what you do i want one that's amazing and this generation just go well where the fuck is it <laughs> I go, Mate, it doesn't just appear overnight you know we have to build the fucking thing how much does that cost and now uh, an average um price of one of our bills can be anywhere between 20 and thirty thousand dollars for a seven thousand dollar motorcycle but we put a lot of time, effort, and value into it, and when they do get the product, it's it's pretty well known. Yeah, you know? well, it's, it's, it's it's a unique product, absolutely. And, and I think that's that point of difference that we have. But you know, all we wanted to do was. Um, so how d- how did you get from so you you just at your top of your game in carpet sales? Yeah, <laughs> it sounds fucking shocking. <laughs> well, you're crushing it's it, true, but yeah, crushing it. And when you're a good salesperson in any industry. You're allowed to walk like a big swinging dick. Yeah but, yeah, but you went from there. What? How did you get? Did, is, was there another step before you were like, "I'm starting my own business"? Yeah. Or? So, um, I met a, a Geordie, an Englishman, and um, he came into my shop when I actually had. Um, was I working for someone then? No, actually. Yeah. So I was working at the company. And he walked in and he said, I am from England. And I said, oh, yeah, you're going. He said, yeah, you're oh, going I'm, I'm actually, you know, I'm actually looking at starting a carpet business here. You know, what do I do? He was green. He was that fucking green, Luke, that he bought a brand new fucking house in Australia and he wanted it brand new because he didn't realise that if he didn't have the seals brand new on the fucking windows, that he didn't want snakes and spiders to get into his fucking house. <laughs> that's, how, <laughs> that's how green that motherfucker was. He got right? And he knows who I'm fucking talking about. Drop but, bears. But, and yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's, and I said, oh, fuck, you got a nice house. And he came from a lot of money. You know, he did really yeah. well in England, yeah. sold his business, came over, wanted a new life, met me. <laughs> you know, and I went, well, we could do this, this, and this. And he goes, well, I'm keen to do it. And I said, oh, no, I have a fuckload of money. You know, I was working for that, that particular. And then I started, um, then we actually started a business. Um, so he used my sales techniques on how we used to go about it because he was, his industry was completely different to what, industry it is was he in carpet as well no he had a lot of mates that had a lot of ties over in england um and then uh so when he came over he one of his best mates ran and owned his own axminster company so 
I mean, a what? Axminster. So Axminster is the sort of stuff you see in pubs and clubs. It's a woven product, so it's okay. wool. It's expensive. It's like four or five hundred bucks a meter. Yeah, wow. And this guy used to know a guy that anyway he said, "Oh, so he can supply me." You know, we can cut them into the deal by them getting a sharehold on supplying us products. We can front up the rest with the leases and the, and the shop fronts. Let's do it. I think he, because I was trying to sell him carpet, and he thought, oh, this guy's all right. I'll, I, yeah. might, I might poach this motherfucker yeah. and demi and make some money. Anyway, That's so the best way to look for good salespeople. Yeah. <laughs> Go to a place where you and, get sold. And I never wanted to run away. I was never in a... Um, an industry, well, my, my personal self, I, I, I didn't think I would be in business. Like I said, you know, like what I came from too. And it was an opportunity I was granted from a company to actually, and I, I remember when I rang the sales manager f- 15 times to give me a crack, you know, uh, give me a go. And he thought, oh, fuck You're a true salesperson. Heaps. <laughs> get, and that's where I started my industry and, and, and worked from there. But um, So this was the first company that you were an equity holder in? No, so I started in the... F- first company and I was there for nearly 10 years okay and then I was working at one of their shops and then he came in and said hey I'd like maybe to start my own this is the English guy English yeah, guy yeah. so the English guy was the, the, the first business that you correct were an owner of yeah yep. Yep. so I was a very small shareholder at that time uh, more direct sales and working and you know managing all the staff but a small shareholder um, he put the majority of money down and had a lot of influences in England by them giving us all the stock. So what we did is we were the first company to introduce a product into Australia that had never been heard of, uh, and it was the first industrial click vinyl product in the world. And it was wow. And we actually even got a tax exempt from from the government when we imported it. And we thought, well, we laid it in the house. It was it was revenue. We, we revolutionised the industry back in my day, and um, it was such an amazing product that we thought we can go nationally with this. Well, it's standard in the flooring industry today, isn't standard. it? Standard. So, wow. In the industry now, if you see a click product, it was from our original company that we imported from English, an English-based product that we brought into the country, that then we actually nationally rolled it out. So from his wow. opportunity, not, and I learned a lot of him. He was a bit of a grub too. He's a bit um, for himself, but all, all that aside, you learn a lot of things in business. One thing is never have a fucking business partner unless it's your wife, mate. <laughs> um, you know, and I ended up getting fucked over. And Anyway, that, that's out of the cookie. And you learn from those fucking Absolutely. things. But I, um, yeah, he, uh, so... You know, we got some leases and opened seven shops. Like, bang, we're in the wow. fucking industry and we're competing directly against. And how how long was this time frame? So, you start? 10 years at my first business. Yeah, yeah. And I oh, sorry, 10 years at the company I worked yes. for. And then I think about five or six years in that industry as well. So, yep. you know, right from my early 20s right up to my early yep. 30s. And this new business that you went into partnership with? Yes. How long was that? About six years. Yeah, about six, six years. Or six or seven years. I can't remember exactly, but... Um, but you know that took us a lot of places. And um, sorry, when you st- when they started the business at year one, how long before you had all these shops open up? Okay, so we was opened, whole we opened our or? first shop in Jindalee, and yeah. I remember we opened the door up with a fucking and true as a city, we opened it up with one desk, a fucking chair, and a fax machine. Yep, and a phone line. I think that's exactly how we opened it up. And we were waiting until they cleared the shipment of samples, just samples of all the samples that we wanted to sell, and they were coming direct from England. Anyway, so we got them, 
and if you go into any particular, and you could choose any of the, the top ten or when you go in, it's, you know, the, a lot of the retail stores in that industry are very, you know, they're all refined, you know, all the colours are perfect, they're on stands, you know. We had nine rolls of carpet in the middle of our showroom cut to a metre length on the fucking floor. That's how <laughs> we started. And then... Got to uh, start somewhere. You had to start somewhere. And then, you know, someone just look at the, oh, it's a new shop, and they go in and they go... And they wanted, I don't know if they fucking felt sorry for us, but they wanted to give us the business because we were a couple of young blokes starting a business in the centre part of a homemaker centre. So we were paying a fuckload of rent. And they could see when they'd go into the place that I used to work at, which was next door, on how hammered they were getting. So we used to work the opposite way. You know, they come in, you offer them polite service. Yeah, we've just started, you know, this is the opportunity. You know, what do you think? And the product was good. So it always taught me back then to have a good product, where the yes. other place we used to have shit products and sell them for high margin, where now we had an English-based product that was value for money, but obviously still expensive, but you'd have to sell more of the fact that the product was amazing yeah. or the fact that you're selling them a shit product for fucking triple E value or what it's truly worth. Um, so that's how we started and then... Um, some of the products come in and then we got an actual warehouse and um, we convinced the English partners to just send over a fuckload. We're going to smash this out. And we ended up being into 175 shops Australia-wide. Wow. Um, and these are all different uh, retail companies. Who are on selling your product. On selling our product. Yeah. So we were the national dispu- uh, distributor. Yeah. Yep. Similar to your situation yep. here. Yep. And we used to sell one product in 15 colours. And it was fucking amazing. This product was killing it um, to the volume we were doing. At that stage, we were probably doing um, anywhere between 200 and 300k a month. Wow. Product. Solid so business. Very, very. And, and that was like six months in or a year um, in? Probably a year in after we felt the retail wasn't always going to be. There was always more margin in the wholesale side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just had a shared you know, um, and you distribute it out Australia-wide. So that's that's how we started. But then what had happened is this particular product that we introduced, which is a click system, which is a plastic vinyl, um, wasn't tested for the Australian environment. So in England, where it doesn't reach 32 degrees, so what had happened is, is when you click this product together, and all I could say is when you click it together and it locks, um, it would stay together... Over, probably done. Am I on? Yeah, you're on again now. Yeah. Um, oh, hold on. <coughs> Try again. Hello. There we go. That's better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> difference I just fucking touched. I'm <laughs> shocking with this. But this product clicked Shouldn't together that, and it looked flawless. But then after six, so we actually pushed all this product out Australia wide. Um, got record sales. Um, but then what happened? It had to be laid in homes. So after about three months of actually being into Australian climate, going from anywhere between 78 degrees right up to 32 degrees, the whole fucking thing would separate. Oh. So it was warping? Cause no, it was more just coming apart and creating what they class as a picture frame. So if you've got two boards and you put them together and they're seamless, but as soon as you get a gap in between it, the dirt settles, so it has this black picture frame. Oh. So the customer, and we, just, we used to say, oh, you know, it's expansion, it's this or that, and we'd we blame you know blame the installer, go back out and fix the emically. But at the end of the day, we had to come to the conclusion it was a direct fault from the manufacturer because they never actually 
realised how bad the temperatures was in Australia and it used mm. to separate. So we had um, Did an amazing product. It all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it got to the point where we were replacing fucking product on the other side of Australia. Financially, it just fucking ruined us. Um, I actually, he, I said at that stage, I actually said, well, if you wanted to continue the wholesale, I'll take over the retail side of things. So I kept the retail, but then dropped that particular product and kept doing what I knew that I could probably survive at that stage. Um, obviously, that product failed and he's no longer in business and mm. that side of the business because we separated it and all that sort of stuff. And I, at that stage, I was living well without over the means that my business was probably producing at that stage. You know, I was Spend that cash flow. <laughs> oh, it's not only spending it, but <laughs> more... Um, just getting into that rut where you live in month to month and yep. your credit cards are gone, you've got 70 grand's worth of debt on cards and, you know, you're still facing up to work every day and, you know, your rent's due and your salesman's shit and you have to go and run every fucking lead. And, look, it just got to the point where I had 25 years in that industry almost and was just suffocating. I just had enough of mm. that particular industry and I, I think I learned from an early age that when I started and I knew the ground roots on where I was going to be, I never thought that I'd actually get from where I was to, to there. So and Look at the w- what you learned along the way. But it's it's always a journey. And everyone talks about journeys in life and, and how things work. And, like, I, you know, I was a shit human back in the day. I was, you know, a criminal. I used to do everything I can to fucking earn any bit of money, steal, bank, borrow, whatever, you know. And we all talk about... You know, li- you know how our lives progress, but that come down from that one f- fundamental situation at eighteen, where I could have gone that way or that way, and I just chose. Maybe it's time to settle down a fucking little bit, and then uh, and now, uh, you know, I was married at the time with that other business, um, separated from from that fucking shit human, and then um, just met probably one of the best humans in my life, and and. And it almost brings me to tears because there's no way that that from the person I am to what and you know about her, mm. and she's one of the most amazing fucking humans on the planet. She's a weapon. And and you say to yourself, well, why the fuck did you choose this cat? You know <laughs> what I mean? And she even says, fuck me, you have brought some fucking shit into my life. She's the straightest, beautiful human in the planet, and and I tell her about my fucking stories, and weapon she's of the just, business person as well. Yeah, and she is just mortified because you know she is just not that human at all. It's all about morals and ethics, and you know, getting to know every human you've ever been, and you know, concentrate about beautiful people around you and get rid of the fucking dead shit what out of your fucking life, mm. and so all of that. And I met some lot of shit humans along my life, and then when I met her. Everything just fucking changed. She said, wow. you've got some shit cunt friends, mate, <laughs> and you need to fuck them off. Otherwise, we're not going to fucking make it. And, you know, and it got to the point where I was in my first marriage, you know, my, my young boy, like, I, I found out that, you know, my partner at that time was cheating. She was just a shit human. And, and then, um, you know, she actually fell pregnant to him and just a shit part of my life. And, mm. and you realise um, those sort of, when you're surrounded by those fake people that just suck the guts out of you there. And I think everyone's had one of those in their life, and I've had one. And then, you know, but you, you say, well, I've gone from having 
that particular person in my life to this human. It's such a, I mean, you'll you'll never notice it unless you experience it. And a lot of people surround themselves with what they're comfortable with. 100%. And they'll go, yep, I'm comfortable with my life and I've yep. got my little weekends. Fucking weekends. I don't know what they even exist at, you know. <laughs> You know what I mean? And, you know, <laughs> I like people that go, oh, well, you know, I finished. Well, fucking what? You know, I mean, I understand hard work and, and you know, um, but I think even I get out of my fucking comfort zone every fucking day. You know, every day. If it's As a business owner, you do. Mate, <laughs> if I'm throwing someone out of my pub at one o'clock in the morning or I'm dealing with my fucking prissy 22-year-old staff member that doesn't want to come to work on time or I've got, you know... Um, events people that are you know are so highly strung or and cash flow or oh. everything you could possibly and i would have none of that if i didn't have the person i have in my life and i and i and i put it down to one thing that you know in this pandemic and it's a fucking pandemic and all i know is and I, we're in the in the entertainment industry yeah there is not too many pubs and clubs that are gonna come back from this stronger or you know like i don't know if a lot of people but job keeper was supposed to stop today we didn't even I think, uh, qualify for job keeper. Yeah, yeah, because you did so well. Yeah, yeah. But we, you know, I renovated, I fucking remodeled, you know, we did a lot of work behind the scenes, financially put a lot of money back into the business to hopefully, and if it doesn't work, you know, we've got, we've, my wife and I have got a fairly good asset that we could go, if this doesn't work, we can, we can just fuck it off and live a life. I only do it. And she's, she likes what I do because it actually keeps me, happy like i could i could go and just well you love it and and that's yeah that brings back to me like what got you into the motorbike industry because um i, I met my current wife we traveled we're over in bali you yeah. know we're just you know living uh a, a, a not a not like we, we were on holiday and i experienced the passion that a lot of the indonesians have for motorcycles and i always like riding or like custom cars and as a kid you know and, you know, we were over there and we are travelling and, uh, and I went out on an adventure ride and I thought, oh, this is fucking amazing and these bikes and this culture. So Bala, um, in Bali and Indo, it's it's more about motorcycles and cigarettes. So the two fucking things that people love. <laughs> and there's billions of them, right? And, you know, if you've ever been in Bali, you'll see um, it's organised chaos. Yes. You've got a thousand motorcycles, all drifted as one. It's like a big... Um, it's like Bugging. a big fucking... <laughs> what the Bugs. Hell? They're like all together, you know? Um, and... And, and I think the experience was, well, get on the back and we'll go for a ride. And we used to just travel. So so you already had been riding motorbikes in Australia? Yeah, I did a little bit, but yeah. not not to the point where I was super good at it or I used to do it every weekend. If I could get on the bike on, you know, anywhere I could, I, I would. But my background was more, uh, I always had some sort of customization to a car if it was yeah. mag wheels or fucking flares or motors or anything like that. And um, I... I always eventuated that passion to probably more of the motorcycle side of things because I fell in love with the culture. The culture really got us over there. Um, we used to travel over there three times a year. Um, you know, we met some beautiful people. And I think it got to the point where I said, and at that stage, I just wanted to bring a couple of these things home. And, and, and I thought, well, you know, I could bike, display bikes them. Home. Yeah, yeah, bikes home. I could display them in the shop and I could do this in our furniture business. And we started importing a bit of the furniture. Yep. So I've gone from you know, transitioning from the carpet industry to actually importing Importing a bit of furniture. And when I was doing that, I was throwing a couple of bikes in the the containers and they were displays and we're doing a lot of Balinese furniture and flooring. We're mixing a bit together at that stage. And then the bikes sort of outgrew the furniture side of the business. Yeah, wow. And then um, 
we started doing a little bit of fabrication and doing a bit more and we got a lot more interest and that's how Smoke Garage sort of... Um, and I know when you have like two passions with my wife having the decor and the furniture side of it, me having the motorcycle, it sort of worked at that stage. But then now... Um, it's more. It's always been now more about the motorcycle because she's seen the passion in me, yeah. and it actually made me fucking happy. Yeah. So she went, "Fuck, oh, I can, you know, well, let's, you know." And I think if you're in that rut role of a job, and you know, you go to work nine or five, and you come home, you're the same routine. Well, every day's different in 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 our industry and and what we do. And I think it. Um, I could go back to the Grand Roots, live a comfortable life, selling product. The industry that we've evolved in now, we've actually made it from custom motorbikes to coffee to bar to events. Yeah. Like we've actually made oh, our particular space. That culture. It's a culture, mate. It is absolutely a culture. and But with my wife's business sense and a bit of the passion that I show for the craft that we do, she, we were renting a property uh, in the middle of the valley and paying an extraordinary amount of rent. And for the motorcycle place, and we just weren't, we, we just were, were dying a financial death or just sucking money into it all the time. Well, that's what one thing, one of the big mistakes that people uh, do, they go way overhead on their overheads just on a really cool building when that, if you've got a good business, and yeah. the customers don't mind coming into a little small place. And I think um, when I knew then that our business was suffering because of the financial decisions I was making and... And, and, you know, not knowing core parts of, of business. I've learned by growth, mm. you know, like you need good people around, you need good managers, you need good staff. And I was doing everything by myself at that stage. You know, I was handling the sales side of it. I was handling the fabrication side. I had a mechanic. So, you know, I was getting tossed to and from and it just got to a point where I did hire, you know, a, f- a, a marketing agency and they helped me out. And then I hired another bloke that you know and he's no longer with us. But um, I think... I just learned from ground roots and I survived based on instinct at that stage. You know, I really did. But I'm doing, I was a doer, you know. Like if I said, right, I've got to get this done, that's done, you know. So you started the bar, so it was Smoked Garage. How was even, how'd you come up with the name? So I met a group of guys over there in Bali that originally had the name Smoked and it was on our travels and they were pretty much working out of a uh, little tiny shack in the middle of but fuck nowhere, and um, it 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 sort of grew. It was always growing over there, so I took a great common interest in the culture, and I said, "Look, this this culture would be amazing in Australia. We just fucking don't have this," and that's where it progressed from the furniture side of things to actually building custom motorbikes in Australia, and that's how smoke sort of come about. But you started Bali. There's a shop in Bali that you yeah. There's did a shop. First. That's actually uh, a bit of a sore point at the moment because. The guy that actually works, we're 50-50 over there. Yeah, okay. And then, and then the guy that actually works over there um, uh, has separated from his wife over mm. there and has become a real head fuck. And I've actually taken a massive step back from over there because I'm just not involved and now they're changing names. He's moved on with his new partner. She's trying to do the business yes. now. He owns the rights or we own the rights to the name Smoke Garage he left and said, "Well, if I'm leaving the business, I'm taking my name with him." So he's left. He's left and taken well, the name off the. The joys of business partners. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I, uh, we never had anything in paper, or, no. you know, it was more a verbal agreement. And, so you you know, I can just walk. I've just pretty much walked away from that side of. Okay, the so that's that's going to be done off. But your main 
customer markets in Australia anyway. We've for the last three years, that's all we've had is Australian customers. Yeah. Um, we used to build some of our bigger um, inspirational builds over there, basically strictly for cost, because if I did it here, it'd be four years and a lot of wages where the average wage in Bali is nine bucks. Mm. But we had some great. Like, I have the best fabrication in the world, the best custom scene in the world. And um, we were paying them a massive amount of money. So the locals were, you know, $1,000 a month, which is massive money over there, but creating a great product. But I must, I still owe a bit to that over there because the the Indonesian scene, so we could actually say, hey, we're in Bali and we're in Australia. So we're a global sort of, you mm-hmm. know, people are recognising it more because you, I don't know if you get more more heads over there, but they had a lot more at that stage. They had a lot more influences. You know, a lot of people liked the product. So, you know, we had our link where well, this is our Australian corporation, this is our Indonesian, yeah. which, you know, on a business sense made sense, but it was a financial um, struggle to keep that up and going when it wasn't, you know, and I think um, that it could be handled a lot better over there. But, it's probably made Smoke Garage into what it is into Australia, into Brisbane now. Because being great marketing, like whenever you have a, a business that's in two different countries, yeah. it makes a huge difference to people's perceptions as well. But they've got to both work in harmony. They've got to, you've got to be yeah. financial as well. And, Correct. You know, and, and it is a struggle when, you know, if they're dipping into the pie over there and not giving back and, you know, assets. You know, it can be really ugly. If you don't keep an eye on things, it can, it can really get, you know, shit and then, you know, it, you've got to fly 14 fucking hours <laughs> to go and sort shit out. And it's hard. You're in a foreign country. Yeah. You know, and, you know, there's all this turmoil going on over there at the moment. And I, I just said to the wife of his, I said, you know what, it's probably time. We've got enough on our plate now. Let's financially sort this out. You move on. He's moved on. So she's actually rebranded our brand over there. He's actually kept the name. So I think sooner or later he'll pop up. With the brand, it's his brand over there. Yeah. Australia own the, the rights through the Australian yeah. side of things and he owns the rights. To, we're still good mates. We still yeah. talk. But, um, yeah, they're going through a lot of a, a, a struggle. But that's life. You know? Yeah. You know, we all go through those shit fucking turmoils in our life and, and you either get through or you suffer in your jock. So yeah. I think, you know, I can only say to him, well, you do you. And I'm happy for him to get on with what he's getting on with. So with the bikes now in Australia, because you, you, you're booked out for how many weeks? 48. 48 weeks of work. Yeah. So what are some of the awesome projects you're working on at the moment? Because, like, this is one thing you are passionate about. You're yeah. Badass, oh, look. Ford, V8. Oh, I mean, crazy, sh- yeah. My wife fucking hates that thing. This, so for those of you, uh, well, you have to look it up, but um, Shane's got this. What is this? A Ford? Cur- it's a Ford Courier. Courier. But it has been worked. It was got a, a Dana sixty or something in the rear. Yeah, it's um a thirty thousand dollar. Yeah, it's got a an engine. Uh, yeah, it's got uh, uh, and shout out to the guys who built it at Super Performance. But it's got like a very similar to a NASCAR block, and it. it's a three forty seven Windsor. But it's worked. It's running five six hundred horsepower. But it, but the problem that I face is. Uh, but the how cop, loud it is. How loud, <laughs> and the coppers want it off the road. But it's an amazing marketing tool. Like oh. This thing, when it rolls down the road, it's so unique and so different to what, what it is on uh, anything else yeah. on the road. Just it's a, a single, it's a standard cab ute style side yeah, that's but, matte black with rhino plaster yeah, all over it. Yeah, but it's been widened, you know, 12 inches, you know, it's been lowered, it's got 33-inch tyres on it, it's loud, it's, and it's called Rexy. Because it's fucking Rex on it's it's on steroids. It's in my, and the reason that the reason that it's called Rex and it's a funny story. Uh, there's a r- regional airline in Dubbo, New South Wales, where my wife's from, and the story goes yeah, Rex at Rex Airlines that they were flying one day and a propeller fell off it. 
Excellent. They managed to <laughs> land. They managed to land. So, you know, it might get you there, but it might fall apart. It's like my car. So she's nicknamed it Rex because it might fall apart sometimes, but it'll, st- you know, it's it's a funny story. But look, um, and I've had some serious cars in my time. Like I've had everything from um, from Bentleys to Ferraris and all that yeah. sort of shit. And it's so superficial. What Ferrari did you get? I had a uh, F40 Spider, uh, a convertible fucking thing. I probably had it for five weeks and sold it because. You just look like a middle age. Um, I can't even say it. I know you're fat. You know, like it was just, you'd pull up at the fucking servo and, and it was a good tool for kids to come around and all that sort of stuff. And you drive the kids around, you know, it was fast and it was fucking loud and all that sort of shit. But they're a shit fucking thing to drive. They are, they are fucking temperamental. You're talking about a $10,000 brake change. You're talking about yeah, 15000 fucking ridiculous. ridiculous. So they always say if you own an expensive item, it's 20% per year to maintain and look after it. So if you own a half a million dollar item, you're still paying a fuckload to maintain and look yeah. after it. And then I owned a fucking Bentley and I just didn't want the kids putting their fucking scooters in it. And, and all of those superficial things mean fucking nothing because you're really living outside your means and you're attracting the wrong attention. But I own uh, a 96 single cab Ford Courier Ute and, and it actually gives the business... Because it's got smoked on it. It's got smoked on the tyres and stuff. Yeah. And people look at it and they just fucking Google it. They just hear this thing humming down the road. Oh, oh wow. It was the same type of thing when we had the um, bit of chap Jeep all branded up, supercharged, full off-road racing tyres yeah. and stuff. And well, the, the story goes, I was down at a local service station probably five weeks ago. I had a fuckload of money, fr- um, maybe oh, look, a fuckload of money. I had three grand in my pocket from from uh, bits and pieces. I was <laughs> <laughs> and then I've gone down the servo. And I've managed to pull my money out of the wallet. And I've said, oh, how much is fuel? And he said, oh, 100 bucks. I'm going like that. And then I've left. And then I get a call at the shop an hour later. And he says, oh, uh, is this my garage? And I went, yeah, who the fuck's this? He said, oh, it's the guy down at the server. You've left all your money on the counter. <laughs> you left three grand on the counter. And I went, how the fuck did you know it was me? Went, that fucking ute, mate, had smoked on the tyres. i seen you leave. He said, I didn't get your rego, but I knew what car it was, so I Googled smoked, and your car popped up. You fucking Google ads. There you are. Oh, your my reviews. God. And he rang me, and he said, uh, I said, how do you know you're talking to the same bloke? And he goes, uh, well, I must be, because you know you left your fucking money down, so you come pick it up. So I tell that story because, <laughs> true story, and... Um, you're a lucky man. Did you give him a tip? Yeah, I went back, gave yeah. him 100 bucks. Yeah. And gave him a free feed and a couple of beers to his mates and stuff. But So good. So, but that just comes from... That vehicle now. If I was in a fucking Hyundai XL, I probably wouldn't have got that fucking call. <laughs> you know, they would have had to look at the cameras and figure out who owns a car. Maybe, maybe, probably. So not. yeah, um, any form of marketing is good marketing. Any Absolutely. form of media is good media. So yeah, I've, it's brought a bit of um, heat to um, the actual car itself. Like yeah, it's going through court at the moment to keep it on the road. So really, yeah. What are they trying to get off the road for? Um, there was an incident where I got. I was just at a car park and doing donuts. No, 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 I wasn't being a hooner. I'm not a, like it's it's loud and it's obnoxious, but I drive it pretty much within the regs. Yeah. Um. I was just parked at a, at a at a car park and these fucking jacks came in and just lit me up and said, "Oh, I've heard about this car. It's illegal." Blah, 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 blah. And I said, "Well, I fucking tell you, it's not, mate. Um, it actually has 47 modifications, blueprinted, and here's my certificate. It's all fully." And compliant. it is it is one hundred percent compliant that vehicle. Yeah. I paid nearly five thousand dollars just for the compliancy to have every regulation checked, every every modification. It's safer than a normal ninety six Ford Courier. Yeah, like it's had that many upgrades. Like it is, 
you know, like it's all steel, like it's all been done, had a private certifier come out, do a road test certification. Like you can modify anything, but you can't just get a fucking Commodore and throw an LS in it and think it's going to be roadworthy. You have to get it modified correctly by an engineer. So we had an independent engineer come in and say, well, you can't do that, but you can do this, this and this. So we go, right, we followed the guidelines, took a year and a half to get the guidelines and do it perfectly and get the actual blue certificate that goes on your Mm. vehicle that sits with your car under your registration and is actually logged under Queensland Department of Transport in the regulations. Anyway, this copper said, no, 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 I don't believe any of that. And I said, well, here's certificate, here's my licence, here's everything, all the modification, no, that can't be right. And he said, well, it's funny you say that. I um, only got a letter in the post the other day because they actually tried to find me one point and $133 to for driving a car that does not reach Australian standards. And I said, well, tell me why. And he goes, the wheels are illegal. And I said, well, it says we've got the wheels on the on the, indi- on, on the document. And he said, the engine's illegal. I said, here's the engine. It's all documented. Yeah. And he goes, I don't care what the piece of paper says. You need to take it back down to Dara and get it rechecked. And I went, well, what, another inspection? It's just been down there for inspection. They've passed it. I don't care. You've got to take it down. So they took it off the road. So four weeks later, I had to wait for an inspection. My own money, my own time, took it down there. Like I was going, oh, what's this thing on back? And I said, well, it's here for an inspection. He goes, what the fuck for? We just passed it, you know, 10 weeks ago. And I said, well, the copper thinks it's illegal. And he goes, all right, we'll go through it again. They go through it like a phone tweet. This is Department of Transport Regulations Inspection Bay, not a backyard mechanic. Yeah. This is the people that inspect vehicles. Anyway, so he went right through it and he says, look, well, they've requested that we ring vehicle standards and I went, well, fucking ring them. So they rang vehicle standards, got all the questions answered, and said, Jane, you're free to go. We're going <laughs> to ring the copper. So the copper <laughs> got a phone call. Next minute, they're both screaming on the phone to the copper. He's fucking, they're on, you know. He goes, that fucking thing's been loud. It should be off the road. He said, it meets every regulation, mate. Yeah. We're not going to knock it off the road. We've given him a certificate to um, continue. Anyway, so I got a call from the sergeant at the. Um, Oh, my God. What a waste of resources. Yeah. Anyway, so he's rung me. He said, so how are we going to fix this? And I said, well, it's been fixed in my books. And he goes, we're not we're not going to drop it, mate. You're still going to pay the fine and do the time. I said, so you're telling me if I pay the fine, I'm pleading guilty to something and, I, and I've learned from a fucking early age. Don't speak too much. And I said, mate, I'll just grab it. And he said, you do it. We're going to keep issuing the fine. So anyway, so um, Jeez, I've got all my documentation. Now I've got to go to court and... Yeah. And I'll plead my case and see how it goes. Seems pretty clear cut, to be honest. <laughs> and, mate, uh, we're in the industry. We actually fabricate and modification exactly. every time. And we yeah. have to do it by the book or we yeah. lose our fucking motor dealer license. Exactly. And I try to tell him, hey, this is, a, a you know, what we do Your for profession. a living. Yeah. You know, I, I couldn't do it myself. I had to get an independent in to actually do this particular work because it's a vehicle four wheels where we only do two That's wheels. Right. So, so we couldn't do it. So after, you know... And then, anyway, I was I was picking up a motorcycle at Wellington Point, and it was um, uh, Melbourne Cup Day, and I got pulled up, and this guy goes, "Oh, I just wanted to pull this car up," and I said, "Why?" And he goes, "Mate, this has created some fucking heat in our industry." <laughs> and I went, "Oh, really?" He goes, "This is the famous fucking smoke garage Ute," and I went, "Yeah, it is." And he goes, "Man." The fucking hornet's nest that this thing has, their fucking internal investigation. This guy's going right. And he says, and, and I said, well, he better have a fucking checkbook ready because I'm going to, because financially, my wife has taught me something that if you're right, you don't have to back down. Like, we are correct in what we've done. We've done everything perfectly. But if you're wrong, you've got to eat a fucking dick or yeah. two and just <laughs> suck it up. You know what I mean? And it's hard, but. 
I've learnt that from having better humans. And I said to my wife, I yeah. said, Molly, I, I, I know I've done what she said. Well, if you're right, you can stand a bit of ground. Yep. But knowing your history, Shane, there's just something you're not fucking telling me. And I said, <laughs> well, it's, it's perfect on the books and it is what it is and it's been passed and we've had the certification. So it's perfect in our eyes. And she went, okay, well, you know, let's, let's see. Let's roll. And she said, just uh, her last conversation is... Why don't you deregister the fucking thing and take it to Dubbo and just drive it around the fucking bush? <laughs> and I said, I'd like to do that. But she she even said, I'll buy you a fucking brand new car. I'll buy you a brand new car. What? Again, just and I said, what am I going to do with a fucking Ford Ranger? She goes, well, at least you won't get pulled up by the cops. And I go, they hate me. you know. But it's gone back from when I used to own the Bentley and the number plate was illicit, I-L-L-I-C-I-T. And every day pulled over. I was pulled over. Every day. It was matte black, lowered. You're a bit sus there, mate. Oh. <laughs> and the first thing they said, is this your car? And I said, no, it's not. I said, who's it? And I said, I don't know. I'll just stole off some bloke. And I used to, that was my fucking <laughs> one-liner. And, and I got the fucking license on the dash. It's registered my name. Of course, it's my fucking car. Oh my but God. I was pegged straight away. And we can all go, oh, you're a fucking drug dealer. Yeah. You've got an expensive $400,000 car. But, like, I bought that cheap and did it up and up. But, you know, they're the, they're the life, le- life lessons that you, that you learn that you don't always have to have that facade about yourself where I have a nice... Look, I've still got the same fucking thing now. It's fucking cost me more than anything else. But it's actually a great marketing tool for me because every time I drive the fucking thing, someone people goes... Look. People go, oh, i just seen this fucking you rolling down the road. wonder what it was. Oh, it's my garage. I looked it up. Oh, you got a bar. I'm going to come in for a drink. Amazing. And then they end up maybe buying a motorcycle or something. So, so with your motorbikes, because they are like ridiculous, you've created some just because you do you, you sketch all those motorbikes yeah, out? Yeah, normally sketch all it the design. I'm actually getting the tire to draw, drawing them up for our customers, and they are getting like they, they know what they want these days. Um, there's not a lot. You've made some space age looking ones, like a s- funny like story. Famous fa- ones, yeah, and, and fa- famous people have actually bought them as well. Yeah, so funny story we had. Um, and if I had, my, I had my phone, I could actually show you the text. I got a text message from a person who put Rover on the moon. Now, I'm What? N- and I thought, this is a fucking joke. You know, what this? And next minute, she sent me a certificate badge and all this shit. And I'm, and I'm still sceptical to the, like, when I was talking to her. And I said, oh, what do you want? And she said, I'm, I'm actually part of the NASA program in 2006 or whatever it was that helped put Rover on Mars. And I went... Fuck off! And she sent me all the dialogues, and you know her, you know in her uniform and the badge, and and anyway, I said, okay. So what do you fucking want from me? And she goes, I want you to build me a motorcycle. And I went, um, and I went uh, a motorcycle. And she went, yeah. And I went, well, what do you fucking want? And she said, um, well, I want one that looks like Rover from from Mars. No way. And I went, really? And she went. Yeah, and I went, well, that's going to be pretty hard to do. And <laughs> Is that a motorcycle? Isn't it got four wheels? Yeah. Quad bike. So you can see the designs that we're doing up, and and uh, if you go right back, you'll see oh, wow. how she showed me the photographs of her that's inspiration, insane. what she had when she – and she was part of the team. She wasn't the person, but she was – so she was – you know, um, work for NASA at the time. We'll put a link in the in the um, comments yep. underneath. That is sick. Yeah, yeah. So that's her. That's our final design that we were doing on the. That um, is sexy. On the bike itself. Oh. Look, it didn't eventuate to anything. Yeah. Um, because I gave her a price tag of three hundred thousand dollars. No. But um, it was going to cost, you know, that an extremely insane. amount of money to actually, you know, integrate integrate. 
um, you know, these these wheels. Oh, and, my God. And she yeah. wanted it. You know, I said, well, it won't be road yeah. legal. I don't care. It's literally like the Rover wheels. Yeah. So, hold on. Oh, we'll go back to the wheel. Where is it? There. Yeah, so this is the design that we had to try and... And that was basically that the design insane. from any the, the Rover that they put on. And look... Yeah, going from the old school person <laughs> I was to this sort of shit, and I'm thinking, what the fuck have I done to deserve this? You know what I mean? But it's, it's what we've created as a business that awesome. people are coming to us and saying, "Hey, you built some pretty, you know, pretty cool shit." And yeah. and well, this I've this is where the first design, what, what she was looking at, you know, and she goes, "Oh, question mark on the front wheel." I said, "Are you fucking serious? That ain't even gonna fucking happen." Like. <laughs> but we've built That's some like Tron stuff. Um, yeah, and it was because we built a bike. That was replicated off the C1 Lotus sort of thing because mm. Lotus were going to build it. We built one and become nationally and then globally recognised. Yeah, because there's one bike, it looks like a spaceship. The rear seat lifts up and that's been in magazines all yeah, over yeah, the world. Yeah, yeah. And stuff. Like that was one that we built in Bali. And, and personally, I wasn't behind that particular design of motorcycle. Our chief engineer over in Bali, Gus Wee, and God love him, he's a great guy, um, sort of said, well, hey, um, what about if we do this? And then Nico was behind it and there was... You know, um, something that would be totally unique, totally different to what I think. And anyone says, well, why have you done that? Because we could. You know, we had the talent, we had the machinery, we invested a lot of machinery back in that day. Mm. You know, that was probably four years ago. We built that by five years ago. And it still sh- sits in the showroom floor. It's my garage in 126 Fortitude Valley. So, yeah. Excellent. So. And so, with the uh, global warming predicament that everyone is going on about at the moment uh are you f- starting to find i should probably rephrase that the uh <laughs> move to alternative fuel sources uh you're seeing a bit more of demand in, in e-bikes yeah so funny ins- enough i actually purchased four yesterday whoa yeah so um uh there's a product called uh v-moto and it's an emac scooter uh they're australia's first fully electric fit like like if you were going to pay our fifty cc motorcycle, yep. only does seventy five k's uh, on a battery. Um, they're a thirty amp sixty volt battery, fully electric. Um, How we'll fast they go? Sixty, but right? it's just commuting around. But Damn. you know all the Uber Eats guys. So I bought four of them. Uh, we use one in the shop. You know, just getting around, picking up parts and stuff. Uh, no fuel, no emissions. Uh, you can't hear the fucking thing. That's so scary. It's fucking scary. You turn it on, <laughs> you turn it on, and I'll go, and the guys go, how do you know the fucking thing's on? Well, <laughs> pull, push, pull the <laughs> throttle, mate, it'll go. And it, the torque in these little things, because they're Bosch powered, so the motors are made by Bosch. Yep. Batteries are Panasonic, so it's all Italian made. Great little motorbike. But just a single step through, you can you can actually, I think, ride them on a, on a learner's permit. Yep. Um, or a standard, you don't need a motorcycle license. But um, we just wanted to get a feel of what these little things are and they're going to be everywhere in 10 years. Yeah. You know, as and have you had anyone ask for a full like big bike build? Cause I know yeah. there's some motorbike e-bikes out there that are yeah. crazy. But we do not have the technology to do that in our shop period. Yeah. We've always been, you know, petrol orientated, you know, fuel injection, yeah. carbureted. Old that's school. us. That's us. Yeah. And for us to come and, you know, want to build something in electric, you know, Harley have just done it globally. They've just um, introduced the live wire. Yeah. Um, you know, amazing motorbike. Uh, obviously upset a fuckload of people in America and Harley <laughs> Davidson because it's all about the power and, you know, the, the emissions noise. and noise and stuff. Um, they actually found a fault in this motorcycle that what was happening in dealerships in America, so I've heard from other dealerships, that um, they turn it on and the first thing you always do when you get on a motorcycle, what does every motherfucker do in my shop when they get to a bike? 
They Rabbit. just fucking... They just think, oh, yeah, the throttle's just there for me to fucking play with like a dick. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and they just sit there and they go, oh, oh, you know? And I say, oh, mate, it's not going to go anywhere. It's not fucking on. Oh, you know? And they... And, like, full respect to Because you've got to start it. Yeah. Yeah. But you turn it on, the lights come on. If you grab that throttle, the thing's moving. So they had to vibrate the seat and make a noise out of it to let them let them know that the motorcycle was on because it was all both coming in and going, oh, give me. And, oh, yeah. and boom, boom, the thing was fucking flicking <laughs> off the trailer floor. I'm so, sure there'll be some hilarious security footage and yeah. shit from that. But, you know, like Holy the same shit. with, you know, every person that comes in, they come and have a look at the bike. And we respect they can they can touch them. Yeah, but the first thing they do is they always go for the throttle and just, you know, twist the throttle because it's there to be twisted, I suppose. Yes. So, Sounds fucking good. Yeah, it's funny. But when they get drunk in the shop and they want to get on one, <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> fucking hopeless. Mate, thanks so much for joining us. That's all right. We've, I think we've done almost two hours. But Have uh, we really? Yeah. This, it gets away on this. Fucking Everyone's like, like, oh, my God. Yeah. But thanks so much for joining us. I hope, uh, well, you've given us some good insight into where, you, like, literally coming from nothing and building up something that's successful that you're passionate about. Yeah. And, and, and I always go back to the fact, like, if I didn't have the current people in my life at the moment, there would be no way that I would be in that position and this, like what I say with Molly, with my current wife at yeah. the moment, and it's hard because you surround yourself with a lot of people that you're influenced by, but you can be influenced very easily by shit fucking humans yeah. as well. So having great people and, and, and support, financial has always been a big thing as well. But, yeah, if you do, you surround yourself by good. Yeah. That, circ- that core circle of influence is so important. That, that it is. top five to ten people you have in your life every yeah. day. Yeah. If you've... You, and it's hard also, like, I've, I've always had to do that in the past and you had to cut out people. And yeah. not necessarily cut them out forever. No. But it's limited no, the amount yeah. of time that you actually, and the amount of bandwidth. It, it's the volume of time, like, with myself and my wife, we don't actually live in the same state at the moment due to COVID. Yeah, you yeah. Know. Um, And when we get time together, that's our time. So no other person's going to get involved because we actually oversee each other maybe every couple of weeks and it's hard because everyone wants everyone to, you know, my time and her time because yeah. she's a very important person. And, and my time is very... But on that weekend when we get to share, and it's and I always say to her, it's like having a fucking new girlfriend every week because <laughs> I don't see you for two weeks. So, I, you know, I want a bit yeah. of quality fucking time. Yeah. But um, that, you know, with Molly, she's actually taught me about from going from an absolute shit cunt human to rorting and, and doing direct sales to actually um, being more responsible, making that, that call that's supposed to be made when you have to make it, um, you know, having a lot of trust as well. But... But leading from example, being the first one there, being the last one to fucking leave, you know, teach your people the fundamentals on how you're supposed to do business. You know, teach them because those teachings fucking go. And there's an old saying: there's no fucking toe ball on the horse, uh, on the on the hearse. You can't take it with you, you know. And 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 if you can make those teachings, but I, I've known now that I've always had to stop and re re reset and go. Well, how would I do that in that situation if I was you know, the fucking shit can't hear me I was with before, but now teaching a bit more um, truth behind a lot of things and, and, and leading from example and getting to know your people and stuff like that, and that comes directly from her. And and I always say it now, like, if I didn't meet her, I fucking would be in a fucking hole, mate. So <laughs> I, I like to, well, I can't mind. And we all have good humans, you know, we have great mates, and yeah. we've got a lot of great mates, you know, but your core party, you know, is the people that you surround yourself closest yeah. with. And the ones that you want to spend the time with, the ones that, you know, um, if it was, if 
people were charging you that time, who would you pick? You know, and and that's where I see it was. Well, you know, I choose the people that are, you know, always there and 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 have a common ground and common interest and stuff like that. But support you in 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 problems. But talking to people is a big thing. You know, having that support network where, you know, I had a fucking moment today where I just wanted to, you know, <laughs> fucking outleash and I had to fucking ring her and say, what do I do? This? She said, well, <laughs> you know, if you do that, it's going to cost fucking ten grand. <laughs> so you need to fucking calm down. Go and have a chill pill. You know, um, and she was on the road. She's actually travelled up tonight from oh, from awesome. South. Well, so I haven't seen her in a couple of weeks. So can you get the fuck mate. out of here if you know what I mean? Thanks so much <laughs> for joining us, mate. No worries, Always a pleasure. Yeah, talk to you soon. Come on, Thanks, mate. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bearded Chat podcast. Uh, what an amazing story! I hope you had some value out of that. I know I learned a few things as well. If you could do us a favor, we don't do any advertising on the Bearded Chat podcast. So if you, all we ask is if you listened and we added value, can you please subscribe and write a review? on iTunes or Spotify. I think you can only do it on iTunes um, or YouTube. Uh, we really appreciate that. And if you really liked it, if you could share with just at least one friend, that'd be amazing. We'll see you next episode. Bye for now.